there's no doubt that the old politics of the two-party system is now gone and over. I don't need lectures from you or anybody on, on the Sinn Féin side of the house. We're very reluctant to kind of say what's red lines, but, but we do have to take climate seriously. There's going to be constant criticism, there's going to be a lot of disappointment, and whoever goes into government is going to be unpopular. Okay. Hello and welcome to the Your Politics podcast from RTE News. Today we are joined by the Government Chief Whip and Minister of State for Sport and the Gaeilte, Jack Chambers. Welcome. And Thank our political here. correspondent, Michal Lahan. Hello. So, Minister, you've got one of the best jobs in government. It's the one, apparently, that everybody always wants. What's the best part of the sport gig? I look, growing up, uh, love sports. I was involved in many sports and Gaelic football, soccer, uh, tennis, rugby, and played many of them growing up. So it's great to be able to shape policy and uh, be at the interface of sport to someone who's loved it uh, from a, a young age. Um, but look, it's all about participation, activity, uh Getting, getting our younger people active and uh, seeing the positivity that sports brings, how it builds communities, um, how it does, uh, how it transforms the lives of so many people when you hear the athletes who've reached the top, but all, with even the people who engage in their ordinary community activities. It's great to see the benefit of sport, the huge volunteerism uh, within communities and uh, uh, and also to be able to really bring in government investment and see how that shapes grassroots and really builds that participation in sport. So it's a great privilege to do it, I said, and, and also to, to bring a perspective to it as someone who played a lot of sport growing up. And if you had to pick one, what's the best thing you've had to attend? If you had to narrow it down, because that's the great thing, you get to go to all these matches. That's true. Um, of all the of all the matches, or look, I I would have attended most matches prior to like I would, would be a big attender of sporting events before I became um, minister for sport. So uh, look, there's lots of activities. I think one of the, I think probably football for all events, and actually seeing how real good volunteers on the ground deliver. In, activities of inclusion for people with disabilities and seeing uh, football for all events across the country it mightn't get the same stardom as um, you know many of the big events that we read in the back of the sports pages um, but for me uh, inclusion in sport is key and seeing um, volunteers and parents deliver that uh, sporting activity to those who may not have had the same opportunity certainly when I was growing up um, there wasn't that same degree of inclusion in sport and I think we're, we've seen huge changes in that and something I'm trying to build on in my own role and I think seeing seeing that and fo football for all and other sport for all events I think are you know I think they make a huge difference to people's lives and uh, are inclusive in terms of their activities. And what about uh, boxing though moving on to your portfolio boxing has been it's one of Ireland's big sporting success stories but the organisation at the centre of it the Irish Athletic Boxing Association seems to be a mess Bernard Dunn forced out, Billy Walsh also. Is the association responding to your threat to withdraw state funding? Well, they have a motion before their uh, AGM, which is happening in, uh, I think, the 10th of July uh, and on that weekend. And we've been very clear there'll be very, very severe and direct consequence, financial consequences for IABA if they don't embrace the full recommendations of, their, of the independent report. Um, it's clear there's a severe dysfunction within that organization um, zero women on its board um, you know high performance directors that have resigned uh, and just general division conflict and it has to be about their grassroots it has to be about the likes of Kelly Harrington the likes of those who represent our country um, and they need to embrace reform I said it at the Oireachtas committee a couple of weeks ago what it what 
what is it? There, there's nothing in that report that doesn't reflect best practice and a basic threshold of government governance. And boxing needs to take that step of embracing all of the recommendations. Um, and we're very clear that if they don't, um, there'll be very direct consequences. And we want to see the recommendations implemented. We'll have full oversight of them, um, and they get significant state funding. So. Um, you know, they need to embrace reform uh, and the folk, we should be discussing the success recent. Um, but it's been drowned out by all these controversies with boxing going back several years now. And the government just doesn't seem to get the organisation to toe the line, even though it funds it entirely through Sport Ireland. Well, that's why they're they're If they don't follow through on the full recommendations, there'll be direct consequences, which will have a very severe and direct impact on boxing uh, and on IAB as an organisation. So it's a very clear choice for the membership of the, and those involved in boxing. They, re- they either embrace the reforms and the recommendations that are proposed or there'll be a very direct impact and government have been clear about that. Um, in the past, there were previous reports, but nothing as comprehensive inter- around governance, uh, around oversight, around uh, best practice from what we've seen in the, in the most recent recommendations. Uh, and there'll be no ambiguity for me and there'll be an organisation in complete crisis without, uh, with very severe funding impacts and future funding impacts which will affect all aspects of boxing okay. if they don't embrace reform. Um, so they have a clear choice mm-hmm. um, and it's Can now, IABA now need to go out and persuade their membership that this is what's best for grassroots and, and they need to embrace reform. And another area that, that, that's been difficult over the past year, the America's Cup, there was clear division in government on this. You had the Foreign Affairs Minister Simon Coveney pushing for it, but yourself and Catherine Martin, it was very clear that you were not on board and you didn't see the merits of this really overall. Well, we had a process of assessment um, uh, within the Department of Sport around um, the uh, whether the bid was deliverable, whether it represented uh, value for money um, and there was a constant engagement across government on it and the government obviously agreed not to um, support the bid uh, and that was the decision uh, of government at the time. Um, but that's that's politics. People take different perspectives and have different inputs and you, you have an assessment process when you're going to put significant state ex- investment into a particular sports bid. We're developing a major events policy at the moment. We had a consultation on that in recent weeks which will inform future bidding processes. Well, where are we with the Euros 2028? Where is, where is that now? That's moving positively. Uh, we have uh, we have a uh, we have very strong working relationship with uh, the bid process and that's going to take 12 months. So UEFA have a bid book and we're working through that. Um, obviously, we, we want to ensure we have a north-south dimension that that aspect uh, is important, I think, for the island of Ireland and um, uh, having more matches on the island of Ireland. Um, so that t- it'll take 12 months and UEFA will make a final decision on that in the spring of next year. Is there always that tension, though, between you know funding for those big kind of glamour events versus funding the domestic league? Because this is something we've heard for years, that the domestic soccer league starved of resources in Ireland. And is there a choice there between those? Well, one of the clear, clear aims of my own is that... Uh, big supporter of the League of Ireland uh, and strengthening the league and particularly um, post-Brexit in terms of younger players having a pathway in, in, into football at a high performance level. It's important we have a strengthened league um, and part of the MOU with the FAI is to is around funding for the League of Ireland and uh, one of my areas of focus now is to strengthen the infrastructure that we see and, and develop uh, better infrastructure for uh, clubs within the League of Ireland but also pathways to for, for players. So we're, we're very keen to support the league and I think it's not a choice of, of either or. 
the likes of Euro 2028 will do an awful lot to, for participation in sport, uh, for the broader tourism and the economy. Um, but we want to invest in our league. And, and, uh, and I think if you listen to what um, Stephen Kenny and others have said, we can have promote Euro 2028 and hopefully get 28, but, but also get a very, you know, have a continued successful league. And I think what we've seen post-COVID is increased attendances, big demand for tickets um, and we do need to improve our, our infrastructure for the league so that we can build on it. What would the legacy be of, of Euro 2028 if it came? Would it be like a revamped Daily Mount Park? Would it be something as specific as that? Would that be in the thing? Well, da- Daily Mount is going through planning and design at the moment uh, and I think it represents huge benefits for that part of the north side of our city. Um, it's it's about obviously developing Daily Mount for football but also the municipal aspect of sport uh, and I think Building the you know those regional uh, stadia for for the league will be really important, and Daily Mount is in is in the middle of that at the moment in terms of planning and design. Um, but I think strengthening str- and building League of Ireland uh, stadia will be really important in the coming years. So better stadium in Cork as well, and and Waterford in place. Well, Waterford has a has a has a strong stadium. Yeah, well, like we've obviously Finn Harps, we allocated significant funds for, and I'd like to see that started. Shortly, I, I that that has got already got significant allocation. Unfortunately, there was issues in the late noughties around completing that. It was commenced and and wasn't progressed. Um, but we, if we're serious about uh, building a better domestic league, we have to have the infrastructure, but also the player pathways. The FAI are are they have a lot of a, they have a new team established um, uh, under Jonathan Hill around you know building those player pathways. And I'm very a willing partner in terms of building better uh, infrastructure and Daily Mount will be one. Um, but there's a lot of other ambition across the island around building better stadia and infrastructure. I think participation will be another legacy of uh, Euro 28 uh, and, you know, ensuring we get better, better input and participation in sport will be key when we have such a major event in the country. And can I move on to a personal issue for you? You were one of the Fianna Fáil representatives who was against repealing the Eighth Amendment, but recently you told the Sunday Independent that your position on that had evolved. Where exactly are you now? Well, I support the current legal and constitutional position. And as I said, you hear and listen to different perspectives and your views evolve in politics. And uh, uh, and I I fully support the the current legal and constitutional position. I think it's a better, uh, we you know, the current position is better for women's healthcare, uh, and I think we need to uh, you know continue to strengthen the options for women when it comes to. I know there are some regional disparities when it comes to access to services. But can you give us an insight to how your thinking evolved? It's a very personal issue for people, and you know it's a matter of conscience. And you took a lot of stick at the time as well, certainly on social media. Uh, how did you cope with all of that? Well, you, in politics, you, you get stick at times about a variety of issues. Uh, I think, you know, meeting people who have a, have had direct experience of 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 needing to access services, um, as someone who's a medical doctor, I think you know, uh, the, certainly a medical perspective on it as well. Uh, I think we're in a much better and safer place, and from a legal and constitutional perspective, but also from a healthcare perspective. And uh, I think hearing people's direct experiences certainly. Uh, influenced my own thinking on this and uh, and and that's my position. 
And Michal, can I ask you, um, at the time, Jack Chambers was one of the 31 Fianna Fáil TDs and senators who posed for a photograph outside uh, Leinster House. It's kind of an infamous photograph now. Has it kind of haunted the party because they were on the wrong side of history and where the people were? Yeah, I suppose that there was that view, but equally that the party leadership did, did ta- took a different view. And of course, it was a matter of conscience that people did, did have a, a free vote in it. But it is something that's there, I think, when discussions around Fianna Fáil's future are still discussed. And of course, it is that future that is under constant discussion among some within the parliamentary party, among those particularly pushing to ha- have a big uh, kind of conversation and discussion, which is now going to take place before the Dáil recess on Friday, on Friday week within Fianna Fáil. That issue obviously won't be one of them. But there will be other things and a push that the party needs to to nail down its policy priorities more clearly, kind of even looking beyond this current doll. And I suppose that shows, despite the fact after the party thinking and Kevin last year, where all whiff of rebellion seemed to have been quelled, that there are still some misgivings among some, albeit it seems to be a small number. uh, And that probably will be voiced again on Friday week. So is there going to be a row at this uh, thinking behind closed doors next uh, Friday of next week? I'll just say we're, as a party, we're having a uh, conversation about the budget, about budgetary priorities, I think is really important and supporting the parliamentary party has an input uh, into that. We have a half day discussion on the challenges around the cost of living and around Fianna Fáil priorities uh, as we enter into the budgetary process. Uh, I think we've very much stamped our identity in government when it comes to housing policy and um, the housing for all plan, the record levels of state funding and housing, trying to deliver affordability and opportunities for first time buyers to get and own a new uh, a home uh, and also trying to bring affordability into the rental market. I accept there are, there's still a way to go uh, in terms of the delivery of that, um, but we're clear in trying to deliver uh, for that cohort of the population who I know uh, want to see delivery on housing uh, as well as trying to ensure with you know we've had significant step change in terms of the expenditure profile in health ensuring we see reciprocity and return in healthcare is a clear priority as we exit um, the worst aspects of COVID over the last two years, trying to see delivery on waiting lists uh, and also around services for people with uh, disabilities is a clear priority for the party, as well as responding to uh, the challenges around cost of living. But, um, but certainly some people in the party are clearly unhappy with the direction of the party. Barry Cowan, prominent backbencher, is one of them. I believe he called for this one day meeting. And it's that question of the party's identity, its leadership going into the next election, do you see Michal Martin as continuing as leader after December 2022? Absolutely do. And I see Michal Martin leading us uh, into the next election. Um, he has um, widespread support throughout the parliamentary party. He's doing an excellent role as Taoiseach. He's sh- someone who shows absolute determination and grit when it comes to delivery. So that's of your policy. promotion sorted out then, is it, in uh, December no, if there's like a reshuffle? I, no, I just would say that uh, as Government Chief Whip, I see someone who... Uh, is absolutely focused on delivery for for the people across communities in this country who I think represents us with uh, dignity uh, on the international stage um, and who's, who's, I think, has brought excellent cohesion to a three-party government as Taoiseach. Um, and and he's absolutely focused on ensuring we deliver on the programme for government, that we put as from a Fianna Fáil perspective, that we that we deliver on housing, that we uh, get where well, we focus on, as I said, re- so healthcare. Th- those are all the priorities. I just want to go to Michal Lahan, our political correspondent. 
These questions around the leadership of Michal Martin, it has died down, but the months are going on now. We're heading towards the recess. Is it going to bubble back up now again? Well, maybe the meeting that takes place next Friday might. I think there may be a calculation there among the party leadership and figures close close to him that if it's dealt with next Friday, perhaps it would stop momentum uh, building. I think it isn't a huge number within the party who probably have these thoughts. I think for many, especially those who hold ministerial or junior ministerial roles, they would be a view that Michal Martin will uh, become tarnished uh, and perhaps at some point towards the latter part of the government, if it goes the distance, uh, that maybe then a new leader uh, would take over. And at this point, if you're to make a prediction on that, who is that most likely to be at this moment? I think the view would be that probably Michael McGrath would be ahead uh, in the thinking of many. Um, the people who loudly talk about Michal Martin leading and of course he has to say that he will and everyone around him and everyone within the government has to say who who are on his side will say that he will lead the party into the next election but it's ironic actually that many within Fine Gael uh, would be even more effusive in their praise of him and in the view that that he would go the distance and would lead Fianna Fáil into, into the next election more so than perhaps if you were to do a full uh, analysis of, of the views of, of his own party but I think it probably still is more likely that at some point before that election that there would be a change. There seems to be a small group within Fianna Fáil though, who are particularly disillusioned and have been for a while. People like Willie O'Dea saying they don't even bother going to parliamentary party meetings because there, there is no point from his perspective because there isn't open debate, uh, something that Dr Chambers would take a different view on, no, no doubt. And just to come to you on some of what Michal said there, let's just say Michal Martin did agree to step down before the next election. Would you be backing Michael McGrath? Are you going to declare your support now? Just to say, I I don't think that'll happen. And I think he has um, widespread support within the parliamentary party. Um, He's doing an excellent job as Taoiseach. And, you know, his impulse is always to the right thing by the country. And I think um, there's widespread support amongst the public. And you'll see that reflected in... Uh, in different, uh, you know, in different polls around the support for him as as Taoiseach. and um, I think that's the okay, the absolute. And, and and I and I would just say that you know that there'll be you know in any parliamentary party there's for differing views at different times, but uh, you know he has good strong support and uh, you know and. And that's that's the position. Okay, and Michal, I want to move on to something else now. Something interesting today for political watchers. Census figures confirm that the population is over five million, but this means a lot more TDs and changes to constituencies. Yeah, there's definitely going to be more TDs. We kind of knew that anyway. It's somewhere between nine and seventeen, so it could be plus nine. It would seem on the basis of that uh, population increase. And I mean, that will see a change in some constituencies. Some of the early places that are being spoken about are the two Kildare constituencies, uh, which stand at four seats uh, each at the moment. Could they increase to five seats? Is that a possibility? Also, places like Dublin Fingal, where you would have a big population growth. Could you see a breakup of that constituency uh, to allow uh, for more TDs covering uh, that particular part of Dublin? I think there's some of the, the early focus on those areas. But you are going to see more TDs, possibly in excess of 170 returns to the next stall, what that all means around government formation. Uh, does it make it uh, more challenging or less challenging? Not entirely clear at this yeah. point. And in your constituency, Dublin West, there's a huge population, a growing population. Would you expect changes there? And curiously, out of the four TDs, there's three government ministers. It's going to be hard to hold on there for everybody. We're very competitive political environment. <laughs> I think that's the same for all constituencies. And I think, come back to Michal's point, in any process of you know, assessing say population changes, it they often say it's where where you start is 
impacts on where you finish and how and how the dividing lines happen. So really, that's thankfully it's something that's outside of politics and is decided independent of everybody, uh, and that's the way it should be. Uh, so obviously they'll they'll be over the next number of months they'll assess what the impact is on different constituencies and on the on the uh, population profiles um, and you know but it's it's a great honour to represent Dublin West and obviously serve in government with two excellent colleagues who work hard locally but Sinn Féin are going to push hard for two seats there so well, every, it's everyone, going to be a squeeze everyone will be pushing hard for uh, for for votes and we all work hard locally but uh, you you know Sinn Féin you know Sinn Féin will have more scrutiny when it comes to the next election as well and what they're putting forward um, and I think we've seen a lot of fantasy economics from them when it comes to what they deliver nationally. I think we're, we're heading into double-digit billions of promises at this stage. Um, and I think there'll be a lot more scrutiny uh, on what they're promising and promoting uh, in, in, the, in, in the advance of any election than, than, than maybe what they had in the last election. So okay. I think, I think uh, you know, Sinn, Sinn Féin need to be honest with people about what's possible. And, uh, and I think, you know, we'll, we were a while out from election yet anyway. I suppose from a Fine Gael perspective too, it's interesting if we go on the Michael Ring analysis where he says four out of five Fine Gael TDs are in danger given that there's a large chunk of them got elected on later counts in the last election. If there are more seats and bigger constituencies, well then perhaps uh, that is a beneficial to, to a government party. It usually would be the other way around, it would be a smaller party. Uh, but if they were uh, fighting it out for those final seats based on that perhaps. So that's why it's, it's kind of unclear as to what, they, what the increase w- will mean overall. But and politics is volatile, like you know, uh, as we all know, uh, and polls change. And you know, Sinn Fein had a strong local election result in twenty fourteen, and their vote collapsed in twenty nineteen, and that's when they were in opposition, promising everything. Um, so we, we'll see what uh, what the next election brings. But I don't expect it for a number of years yet. Yes. And uh, and as I said, we're you know committed to delivery, and uh, and I think you know we'll see what how their policies stack up when it comes to any election. Do you expect a rotation kind of uh, in December at kind of ministerial level, the roles swapping between the parties? Would the chief whip role, for instance, uh, go to Fine Gael and, and, and w- would there be a move on those kind of things? Is that written down somewhere in some secret document? Well, the three party leaders will decide, um, obviously, who's who's in any particular role. And uh, uh, and that's obviously we, we know that the, the Taoiseach and the Tanisha position will rotate. Um, and I think finance and public expenditure probably as well, but everything beyond that would be a matter for the, the party leaders. And and uh, on the chief whip role at the moment, you're down to a majority of one. How much more difficult is your job right now, and what's your modus operandi for knocking all the TDs into line? Well, we've always had tight arithmetic, whether it was one or four or six, or, or uh, and but we... You know, as whip, you have to be a week ahead of the week itself, and you need to know, know your numbers and pair very... Uh, carefully and ensure that that any absentees are, are properly covered. Um, so we could we work work strongly with Brendan Griffin and Marco Cahillseger, who are the other two government whips. Did COVID and throw it all up in the air? It did at times. I mean, we had at particular points in early spring, we would have had significant numbers out with COVID. But obviously, that was a broader reflection of the opposition as well. Or, or sorry, of the population. So the opposition would have had similar numbers absent. Um, but look, as whip, you have to be very careful with your arithmetic on your numbers and, and obviously authorising absenteeism as well. So uh, we, we work very carefully, but you have to be diligent about knowing what your numbers are in advance of any week of voting. 
And can I ask you about something that's relevant today? The Oireachtas Housing Committee is hearing from homeowners affected by MICA. You sit around the Cabinet table. Ministers, we understand, have been warned about the rising cost of MICA redress, at least £2.7 possibly higher. How much concern is there that the bill is just going to be a runaway train? Well, obviously, the, we're very committed to ensuring that like the, what, what's, what, what homeowners in Donegal and, and other counties have faced is devastating and uh, kind of having collapsing homes and we're committed to a scheme that works for them uh, and we hope to progress that legislation in advance of the summer. Um, there will be a, a, a significant cost, but I think we, we are, we're committed to you know, delivering a, a scheme that works for homeowners that allows them to uh, get their properties but rebuilt. How do you contain the cost? I mean, that's the that's the big problem. Well, I think it? the cost will be spread over a number of years, and uh, and it's something we're obviously managing within the broader budgetary parameters. Um, but we we have to deliver for for homeowners. So I think anyone who sees what they have faced um, is shocked by it, and I think we we've a duty to to respond as a government and to and that's what we're trying to do with the legislation that we've drafted. And Michal, have the government got this over the line or do they still face the prospect of electoral retribution in Donegal and Mayo? Yeah, I don't know. I think the government have, have the numbers to get the legislation through and I suppose once that happens, it'll be interesting to see, see the impact. But definitely the real heat around this politically perhaps for the moment has been dealt with and it's just a matter of waiting for the election then to see if there is a, a lingering fallout from it. But at that point, I suppose many houses should be repaired. And uh, we're nearly at the weekend. Any any plans, any any that the sun shines out maybe today, but not sure about the weekend? What are you going to go get lots, up to? Lots of matches. So we have uh, we've, we've Dublin playing tomorrow, playing Cork, um, or on Saturday, Saturday, should I say. I forgot, I thought it was Friday for a second. Um, and then, and then on Sunday uh, as well, we've got the, um, the the athletics championships are on in Morton. So, but, I'm but go. that's all kind of work stuff, you know. What, what do you do in your spare time? Some of it's work stuff. Well, I'm going to go to Sophia Fall will be at the Pride Parade, so that's on Saturday, um, and then I will uh, just take it easy for. Um, Easy bit of downtime. Bit of downtime. You're not so going to the Mayo game, no? Well, I was hoping to get to the Mayo game with my roots uh, in Mayo, but I'm on Sunday evening. I'm actually at an event uh, with on defence in down in Wexford, so I'm uh, going down to that as well. Okay, very good. Well, Can I just ask you: Is that a Peter Burke, Finnegall TD, biro that you have there? That is this cohesion. I no, it's not. I actually I picked it up on the way down, so there you go. Cohesive government. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you very much for joining us and thanks for listening to the Your Politics podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. Goodbye until next week.